Good morning. I believe that we all have a they. The group of people that, that we blame all the world's problems on, all the church's problems, all the problems in our government, we have a they. It's their problem. It's, if we didn't have them, then we would be cool. And, and we all have this they. And if you're looking at me going, I don't have a they, you're the only one who has a they, well, then I became your they, and now you're in the same group as all of us. And so this morning we're going to ask the question, well, who is they? Like, who is my they? Who's your they? Who is they? Is they defined by socioeconomic status? Is it defined by how you vote? Is it defined by age, gender, um, is it defined by your appearance? Like, like, how do we define our they? Like, who is they? And as I've been thinking about who my they was, one of my they's, I have multiple, um, it was difficult for me to come up with one that I felt comfortable sharing because it's kind of embarrassing. You know, I, I was embarrassed to come up here and tell you people that I didn't like, right? So this is, it was, it was kind of hard for me to come up with, with an example of it. And I did. And I wasn't totally sold on the example, but it was the best one that I felt comfortable sharing. And God obviously knew that that was not a good enough example. So on Friday, he brought me face to face with one of my days. And I didn't even realize how much this type of person was a day to me. I didn't realize how much they bugged me. And so, um, on Friday morning, I had to go to the DMV, which is great. Um, but I had to do it for work, which made it a little bit better. Um, and the other cool thing about it was that I had to get my license renewed. So on the clock, I could go to the DMV for work and get my own stuff taken care of. And so if I'm at work for eight hours or in line at the DMV for eight hours, doesn't really matter. And so I'm waiting in line. I've got my bag with me with my computer because I thought I would work while I was at the DMV, which didn't happen. I just watched Netflix while I was waiting. Um, (laughs) After about 30 minutes of being in the wrong line, I found out I was in the wrong line. So I'm like, oh, geez. So I talked to the security guard and he tells me the line I'm supposed to be in. But I wanted to drop my bag off at my car. So I, I left the DMV through where I needed to enter, right, through the line I was supposed to be in. And I caught eyes with this guy. And he was yelling stuff about judgment and wrath. And I was like, oh, no, one of these guys. And so we made eye contact, which was the first problem. And so I went and I dropped off my bag. And one of my spiritual gifts um, is that weird people like to talk to me. So if someone's weird, they will talk to me. They will find me and talk to me. So I knew I was in for it. So I came back, and lucky me, where I got in line was right where this guy was. And so he comes up to me, and he goes to hand me a track. And I go, no thanks, I'm good. Which is the polite way of leave me alone, no thank you, right? Like, I'm not into what you're doing. I'm not into how you're doing it. And on my way over there, I knew that getting in an argument and debating this, this, this guy um, was going to be fruitless. So I decided I'm just going to ignore him like everyone else is doing. 
and we'll be good. But then he asked me a question, and foolishly enough, I answered. So when he said, he said, how do you know you're good? So I'm like, I'm a Christian, and I believe in Jesus. Like, I'm good. No, thank you. And no joke, say on the microphone, he goes, show me. And he got off my personal space, and I'm like, no, thank you. And he had a Bible, not an iPad. And he's like, show me in the scripture. And he starts flipping through it. And I'm like, no, I think what you're doing is rude. And I don't want to be a part of it. I said, I don't feel like you're listening to me. No, thank you, right? We're done. And he says, I've been listening to you. I just don't believe you. I'm like, let's go, bro. Right? So, (laughs) so, you know, I'm getting more and more frustrated and... And he said, if you are a Christian, then we're brothers. And I instantly thought, we're not brothers. We're not part of the same group. You don't belong in, in my circle. You're a they. And then I went, i got to preach on this in 48 hours. So then I'm feeling convicted and irritated, which are not, you know, they don't mesh very well. And so I did what any respectful adult would do, and I just started ignoring him. So no joke, I'm sitting like this. And he's sitting here talking to me, just going and going and going about how it's not enough to believe. Even the demons believe. And, you know, it's about righteousness. And I'm like, right, just, I don't know how long I have to ignore this man. But hopefully it ends soon. And didn't. And so he, he, he said something about playing games. And I'm like, I'm not playing games. So he got me back in. So, again, he's winning. <laughs> I'm just like, I'm not playing games. I just don't want to talk to you. Please leave me alone. He keeps going. Please leave me alone. I just started saying, please leave me alone over and over and over. And so he finally, after like 15 seconds of repeating the same thing, steps back and then preaches to the rest of the people in line. And again, it's like, let us just be miserable in peace. We're at the DMV for crying out loud. And he, and so then he starts preaching on, on it's not enough to believe. Even the demons believe. And he keeps on looking at me. I'm like, gosh. So finally, by the grace of God, he leaves. And some dude, a couple spaces ahead of me, is kind of more gnarly looking. And he had a skateboard, which is fine. I like skateboarding. But if you skateboard to the DMV, might be some problems because you didn't drive to the DMV. And he was kind of gnarly looking. He goes, Hey, where'd your friend go? I was like, that guy's not my friend, right? Like, yeah, no. And, you know, he's joking. He's like, yeah, I know. And I realized I would rather be talking to this guy, the guy that I have, you know, less in common with on paper than than homeboy over here. And I'm just sitting in line thinking, oh, those people, right? I, I can think about the things I feel like he's doing damage for the kingdom. I have all these things where I feel like my way of doing it's a little bit better and why his way is wrong. Like, I, I get all that. But it was how I was thinking of him, that he was definitely my they. And before we get too much further into it, there is a difference between distinction and division. So there might be a group that I don't want to belong to. For example, I don't want to be a woman. <laughs> I don't want to be mistaken as a woman. I don't want to give childbirth. I don't want to do any womanly things. I'm happy being a male. 
Okay? So, so there's distinction, and that's okay. But the division and, and how we view the people that aren't in our group, that is the thing that we're going to, to, to tackle this morning. Is who is they? What does Jesus say about are they? Why do we have a they? And what can we do about it? So, the first thing, if you're like me and can't figure out who your they is because you're embarrassed to admit it, there's a really easy way to find out who your they is. You just have to think about people you're better than. I think I'm better than that dude who was bugging me. I feel like, like um, there's more fruit in my life, that, that my relationship with Jesus is more authentic. And I started going through it. And I'm like, yeah, I think I'm a better person than this guy. And so when we realize that pride is the center of our they-ness, well, then we know that Jesus has got a problem with it, right? When, when I realize that it's not okay for me to keep on thinking this way because it's all about self-elevation, it was just like, all right, God, let, let's deal with this. Let's, let's deal with this. Show me who I am. Show me who these people are in respect to that. And we'll go from there. So the first baby step is something that we hear a lot. We hear this, this thought that you don't have to like them, but you have to love them. And while I believe there's truth in that, I just can't imagine Jesus saying that. I can't imagine Jesus saying, you know, blessed are the poor in spirit, for they will inherit the kingdom of heaven. You don't have to like people, but you have to love them. Right? That just doesn't seem like the heart of Jesus. Now, again, there is some truth, because that dude, while I don't like him, I don't want to hang out with him. The one question I did want to ask him, but I didn't, was what church do you go to? So then I can never show up there. So we're not going to go have coffee or watch a game together. But if he was in a position where he was getting harm done to him, I would like to think that I would step in. Unless I was the one giving him harm, but... But I would like to think that I would step in. And, and I do care about his spiritual health. I do care about, you know, the fact that he's part of God's creation. And that, you know, like, like I want good things for him. So there is truth that I don't have to like him. But we kind of tweak that idea a little bit. And we almost say it's better if you don't like them and then serve them anyway. Because then you're being faithful. You're just being obedient to God. You're being obedient to his call. But if we take that to the extreme, it'd be like me not liking my wife, but serving her anyway and going, man, I'm such a good husband, right? As opposed to actually liking her and serving her the same. And see, I, I, I just imagine that that would be Christ's desire for us, that we would actually like our they, that we wouldn't have they's, but they would just be a different, distinct group. And so, if pride's the center of our they-ness, then I, I would assume that Jesus is the only one who's allowed to have a they, right? Because he's the only one that's better than everyone else, which is pretty cool. And so, there's a scripture in Matthew that kind of shows the heart of Jesus and what he, what he views about other people and the way that he views what we would call our they, or his they. And in Matthew 9, it says this, When he saw the crowds, 
he had compassion on them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a, je- without a shepherd. That doesn't sound like a they. Like, Jesus doesn't have a they. He sees the harassed and helpless and has compassion on them. And it's very difficult for me to look at that guy who's just, just rude and go, what area in his life does he not have a shepherd? And where is he being harassed? And, and why does he act the way he does? And have compassion on that part of his life that's missing. It's very difficult. It's much easier when you know the person's hurt. Right? When you know someone has a big problem and then they're a jerk, it's much easier to have compassion. But Jesus can just see it. And that's what he's, he's wanting us to be like him and see those irritating, frustrating they's and say, oh man, they, they act that way because they're harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. Because, unfortunately, I am probably some of your they's. And I would hope for grace in those areas where you go, yeah, the reason you act like that or said that or, or do such and such is because in that area... You know, you don't have a shepherd there. And that's okay, because I I hope for that grace. And so I'm expected to give that same grace. And as I was preparing and and thinking about this subject, um, there was one scripture or or story that was was pretty obvious to me. Like, oh yeah, that's that's the one that we want to go over. And um, it's the story of, of the Good Samaritan. And for anyone who's been going to church for a while probably heard the story, but it's essentially Jews and Samaritans didn't get along much like uh, Republicans and Democrats or Laker fans and Celtic fans or like skateboarding and rollerblading. Like they just, they are not the same and nothing good can come from the other camp. In fact, I think the best job in the world would be to go to every Celtics game and just talk trash to the, the, the team. Like, like if I could sit right behind the Celtics bench, oh, be so cool, except for we had a lot of Celtics games, and nothing good can come from Boston. Um, <laughs> they've got the Red Sox, and they've got the Patriots. Boston's no bueno. So anyway, so so that's kind of where the, 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 the Jews and the Samaritans, that's kind of how they view each other, right? And so the Samaritan dude helps out this Jew in, 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 in the story, but we'll go through it. It's in Luke chapter 10. It says this, On one occasion, an expert of the law stood up to test Jesus. Teacher, he asked, what must I do to inherit eternal life? What is written in the law, he replied. How do you read it? He answered, love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength and with all your mind and love your neighbor as yourself. You have answered correctly, Jesus replied. Do this and you will live. But he wanted to justify himself. So he asked Jesus, and who is my neighbor? He just asked, does all this church stuff, does it extend to my they? Like, like can I just love the people that are in my in-group, in my circle? Like, can I just love God and love the people that I get along with? Like, is that enough? Does it really extend to my they? So Jesus responds with this very famous story. It was not famous at the time, it just is now. In reply, Jesus said, A man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho 
when he was attacked by robbers. They stripped him of his clothes, beat him, and went away, leaving him half dead. A priest happened to be going down the same road, and when he saw the man, he passed by on the other side. So too, a Levite, when he came to this place and saw him pass on the other side of the road. But a Samaritan, as he traveled, came to where the man was, and when he saw him, he took pity on him. He went to him and bandaged his wounds, pouring on oil and wine. Then he put the man on his own donkey, brought him to an inn, and took care of him. The next day he took two denarii and gave it to the innkeeper. Look after him, he said, and when I return, I will reimburse you for any extra expense you may have. And Jesus breaks the story. Which of these three do you think was the neighbor to the man who fell at the hands of the robber? So he's saying, look, there's, there's this Levite, there's this um, priest, and there's this Samaritan, there's this they. Which one in the story is the, the good one? The expert of the law replied, the one who had mercy on him. And then Jesus responds, go and do likewise. That's, that's intense. It's, it, he, he's saying, go and be that. Go put him on your own donkey. Go out of your way. See, see the, 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 the two Jewish uh, fellows in the story, they were on their way to go do ministry and were too busy to help out a man who is obviously in need. And then there's a Samaritan who is also on a journey, busy. And he puts him on his own donkey, spends his own money, goes above and beyond. Like, like this is a, a that's, that's a hard thing to do. We're all busy. We have things to do. We don't always have time to take care of naked, beat, beaten up people, right? Like, like I, got, I got places to go. <laughs> and Jesus says, no, go and do likewise. The interesting thing is, is I've heard this story a lot, but I've always read it as if there was a Samaritan person who was hurt. And then it was like a, a Jewish guy who helped the Samaritan. Like, me thinking, oh yeah, when I see people I don't like, when I, when I find my they in need, am I willing to help? But the story is actually of a Samaritan, my they, going and doing the work of God. Doing it better than my people do. And I started asking myself, is it possible that my they is better at serving God and being the hands and feet of Jesus than I am? Is there something that this guy in that line at the DMV knows about God that's, that's better than how I do it? That has a fervor for God that I'm missing? Or maybe a boldness that I'm missing? What can I learn from this guy? And before when it's just, oh no, you just have to, you don't even have to like him. It's like, I was way more comfortable there. And now there's this, this, this humbling position and elevating of our they. And that call from Jesus, that's, that's pretty hard. That's not an easy task. But it's one that we're commanded to do. As we move forward, we want to ask the question, basically like, why? Why do we like putting people in these days and keeping us in our us? Um, and before we go there, I want to do some early church history. It might be a little bit boring, but deal with it. 
And so Jesus dies, is resurrected, comes back, hangs out. Thomas touches his side, right? He does all this cool stuff. Then he ascends to heaven. And then the church begins. That's like D-Day, but for like God Day or C-Day for Christianity or something. Like that's the beginning of the church. And it's just called the church, right? You're, you just were part of the church. There was no division, distinction. There was just the church. And so there were a lot of councils and, and um, because as Christianity started to spread, they all had to start getting back together and talking about, oh man, we're, we're seeing that this is coming up. We're seeing that people aren't sure whether or not Jesus was actually God. Was he 100% man and 100% God? There's all these things that we would call like, like roots to Christianity that they had to discuss. And, and so they did that, and they did that for a long time without any division. And there were a bunch of these, like, mega powers in the church all throughout the area. And one day, Rome decided to break off and do their own thing. So they became the Roman Catholic Church, and then the Eastern Orthodox Church. And so that's called the Great Schism, and that's in uh, 1054, okay? So for like a thousand years, like, the church played nice together. They dealt with heresy well. They all stayed together. There was just one church. And so Rome decides, no, you know, we're, we got different opinions on some stuff. And so they split, so they called the Great Schism. It's kind of a big deal, hence the name Great Schism. And then um, the Eastern Orthodox had some, some breaks in their uh, belief system too. Um, but we're going to mainly focus on the other side because it's a little bit more crazy. And so, so for a thousand years, they play nice. And then later on, Luther comes and does his thing and ends up creating the Lutheran church. Now, he said he just wanted to reform the Catholic church. And he thought the best way to do that was to take the top 95 things he thought were wrong with the church and nail it to the door. Go to, come to find out that's not very good at getting your point across. So he ended up breaking off and creating the Lutheran church, okay? And shortly after that, three other denominations, if you will, kind of took that same route. Like, yeah, there's these things that we don't like about the church, but they didn't necessarily fall under Luther. They just kind of came up with their own things that they didn't like. I don't know if they were 95 or whatnot. And this is called the Protestant Reformation. And this happened in 1517. So that's not even 500 years later that we got four more breaks. And so, by simple math, you would think, okay, we only have like 16 more to go or something like that. But no, today it looks like this. It gets pretty crazy. And, and we, I can't even fit everything up there. Our church isn't even up there. Our denomination's not even up there. Because there are 38,000 different denominations of... Um, uh, Orthodox Christianity. So that doesn't count other religions and it doesn't count cults. That's a lot. I, I don't even believe in 38,000 things. Like, I can't even argue about 38,000 things, let alone, yeah, I, I don't know how this is possible. And that's not even 500 years, right? 15, 17, from 2013, right? It's not even 500 years. And we just went crazy. And that's all part of this Protestant um, denomination. And we find ourselves in the Protestant church. 
And I'm, I'm, I'm proud to be a Protestant. I specifically go to a Protestant church and not a Catholic church or an Orthodox church. It's by choice. And I, by choice, go to a free Methodist church. But it is kind of a bummer that we have so many divisions. And I think part of the reason we do is based off our name. We're Protestant. The root word is protest. Like, by definition, we define ourselves by what we're against. And that's disappointing. Again, I love most of church history, except for when we, like, killed people in the name of Jesus, and that's not my favorite. But other than that, I love our lineage. I love a lot of the stories as to why we are here on this Sunday morning and how it is all traced back to Jesus. I think that's super cool. But I just wish that we didn't get here by protesting. And so my hope would be that we'd be a group of people that would be pro-testament and be able to talk about what we're for and what we agree on and, and those things and find unity with one another. In fact, I've got a friend who, every time I would see him, he would talk about why his church was the right church and why my church was the wrong church. And that I have spiritual maturity in spite of the church I go to. I was like, bro, I don't care what church you go to. Can we just talk about the things that we have in common? Can we just talk about how great Jesus is, the restoration process he's brought us through, the fact that he's come and redeemed creation? Like, those things are awesome, and we can find unity there. And in fact, it doesn't have to just be in the church. It can be, you know, those guys at work who go and party on Friday nights, or it can be whatever your they is, we can go, I bet you they have aspirations and fears and thoughts that we all have in common with them. Like, like if we could just find that common ground and find unity there, I think we could be more effective, and I think we could start living out this, this, this they-less utopia. But I am one of those that says, well, how? Right? Like, like Jesus has some pretty, like, he's pushed us pretty far through this, this message, right? You can't just like them. You gotta more than like them. And you have to not only humble yourself, but elevate your they, right? These are, these are hard things to do. So how do we do it? And research is finding that our vocabulary changes what, what we believe, not necessarily the other way around. Like, because of the vocabulary I have, it changes what I believe. And so that's why when people start coming to church for the first time, they adopt what we call Christianese. They'll say stuff like, I was bought by the blood of the lamb. And we're like, dude, can't you just speak normally? And they say, no. And it's no because they're they are using this vocabulary and changing what they believe. And I know that James knew this. James, in chapter 3, says this. Look at the ships also. Though they are great and are, uh, they are so great and are driven by strong winds, are still directed by a very small rudder, whatever the inclination or wherever the inclination of the pilot desires. So also the tongue is a small part of the body, and yet it boasts of great things. See, he knows that our tongue is small, but it controls where we go. It controls what we believe. Even in spite of great winds, in spite of 
things outside our control that are trying to guide us in a particular way. He says, no, your tongue, what you say, the way that you say them, that changes what you believe. And if we could just remove the venom from our speech about our they, then maybe we could start adopting this. Maybe we could start believing that there are no theys. Um, as the worship band returns, I'm going to read a scripture from Ephesians. And it's my hope and prayer that, that we actually believe these words. It says this, Make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. There is one body and one Spirit, just as you were called to one hope when you were called. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. There's one. There's one God. He's the God of our days. Earlier when I was, I was talking to, to Pastor Bob about this idea, he said, I like to think of it as us and not us yet. Because one day, hopefully, they will come to know Jesus. Hopefully, everyone will come to saving faith in Christ. And I don't want to have this mentality of them as they were once a they. They were a they. No, they, they just weren't us yet. Yeah.